As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Excited to be back with you today. Uh, It is Tuesday morning. Um, and I just finished a, another chat with our guy, Al Galdi. As you know, we're doing a uh, one week. He's I'm on his show. This week, he came over here. And uh, we, we, we kind of moved past the New England game. Good win, of course, for Washington. And to move forward, sort of in light, because I have a new article up on The Athletic today about second half predictions. And we sort of dove into that, uh, kind of like, you know, where, where are we at now in the Sam Howell is the quarterback for the future uh, meter. How much will John Allen and Deron Payne's performance the rest of the season dictate how much Washington looks to invest at defensive end? Uh, Who's the most interesting rookie? Uh, Things like that. We also got into Chase Young's comments that he made at his introductory press conference in San Francisco. You could argue he took a, he took a jab at this, at his former team, or you could argue he's a, saying words to string sentences, uh, you know, putting words together to string a sentence together. So we'll get into all that and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Of course, make sure you hit that subscribe button, or whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you do your uh, podcasting. I'm, I'm a Google podcast guy, and apparently I found out that uh, Google podcast is going away because I guess uh, Google has YouTube and they're going to make it move it over there. I don't know. So I don't know when that's going to happen. It's going to disrupt my you know, my, my, my order here, but uh, wherever you do your podcasting, including on the athletic app, make sure you um, find it there. And also, if you haven't yet subscribed to the athletic, encourage you to do so. Also follow me on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it at Ben Standig. Um, I don't post a ton on Instagram, probably should do a little bit more, but I do uh, do some post some videos or some other things. So if you want to follow me there at B M as in Mitchell standing um, uh, not, not too much to get into now that we haven't already discussed that. I didn't recap after the game in new England, uh, Ron Rivera did speak yesterday. Uh, you know, it's funny after wins, you know, the, 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 the tone of the conversation is very different than after losses. Um, you know, he really just talked about, you know, more about Sam, the progress there. Uh, he talked about the good day from Forbes, but the need to see more. We talk about Forbes a bunch here in this conversation with Al uh, in a moment as well. So I, I wouldn't say there was any significant revelations there. He did also talk about the Tyler Larson and Chris Paul additions. What's that? What that has meant. Um, so, you know, uh no, no, we'll, we'll learn more about potential injuries or concerns there on Wednesday. Uh, Curtis Samuel, of course, missed the game this past week with a toe injury. Not that his Curtis Samuels had a good year, but his absence was not felt. Uh, Jahan Dotson had another had his second straight good week. Terry McLaurin uh, had some huge plays, uh, 62 yards on two or two back to back receptions, setting up the go ahead field goal from Joey Sly. And of course, Byron Pringle, Diami Brown also contributed. So um, a good sh- sign of depth there. Uh, 
Big challenge, though, this week for the whole team against a Seattle Seahawks group that got smashed this past Sunday going back home where they are always a danger. And it's a big game for the wild card chase. Uh, Al and I get into that as well. Uh, so let me not... Uh, is dilly dally a word that anybody under 40 uses anymore? If not, sue me. But I just did it. Uh, I'm not going to dilly dally anymore. Let's get to this. My conversation with Al Galdi uh, talking about the commanders down the second half of the year and looking ahead even a little bit beyond that. We'll do that right now here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. It is time for our, is it bi weekly? I never know how to say that. I think a bi-weekly on this podcast with Al Galdi coming on, but I go on his podcast the other week. So you know what I mean? We're, we're just every other week. It's an, it, it, uh, somebody else has the other person has the home court. This time it is me. So Al Galdi host of the Al Galdi podcast is back. We were just discussing about how everybody, we, we all have like lack of sleep. We just had daylight savings time. I'm thinking like for you, like I always say that like Curtis Samuel is the type of player. He's like a, a fancy sports car where like if a pebble gets into the engine, he could be out a week or so. I feel like for you, you're such a, like a regimented guy. You've got this crazy schedule that for you, like when something like daylight savings happens, it's got to like throw your whole world off. Well, I actually welcome it with open arms because it does give us that precious extra hour of sleep. And we have two small kids. So every minute of sleep that you can get is good. But, you know, with kids, like, their routines do get off. So the three-year-old who's used to getting up at, like, say, 645 is up at 545 because she doesn't know any different uh, in terms of daylight savings time. So there is that. Uh, but it is nice to be with you, my friend. So thank you. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, yeah, I was going to say, like, for everybody who I've talked to in the last few days, like, yeah, yeah, yeah extra hour of sleep, except the kids don't know that. No. So that can't be – that. That's not, a, that's not a helpful bit. Plus, like, the, the extra hour of sleep – meaning we it gets dark earlier screw that i don't not only do i not care about the extra hour of sleep but the dark the, the, it's the worst day of the year every year the the sun the 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 day we switch the clock terrible well it is um one of those deals when it gets dark now and it's going to eventually get dark at like five o'clock th- that is depressing <laughs> you know like so depressing. Is, i hate that like looking outside and seeing that And I always look forward to that uplifting time of year where it's like April, the weather is warming up, baseball has started, the NFL draft is coming, you're you're getting into the NBA and NHL postseasons, and it is being uh, light out. You are seeing light outside like 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, then 7 o'clock. Like, you know good times are ahead. There, There is that ominous feeling of the clock turns back, you lose the hour, and now it's pitch black at, like, 510. You know, like, that's not good. Nobody's happy about that. Yeah, and just to, like, tie this in with uh, the, the the job that I have, like, Ron Rivera this season is talking on Wednesdays at, like, 4 o'clock. So that means by the time he's done, and then we, um, you know, I, I got to write, and I'm the slow writer, and it takes me a while. Like, by the time I leave, if you know, if the if the street lights weren't on, I couldn't see anything. It's so dark there, and like especially the past few years, when it's really dark outside at Ashburn, it's really depressing because you already because it's already depressing in the sunlight. At least it was, you know, um, under the Snyder regime. So yeah, it has a very ominous feeling for sure. Yeah, I mean, I used to do radio shows at Skins Park, and you know, the, the show would be done at seven, so you know, I'd be driving home at that time. So I know exactly. Uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anyone listening cares about that. I wish the Ron Wednesday pressers were earlier in the day. That four o'clock thing is, is uh, I don't think that's doing anyone any, any favors. Is that an Eric Bieniemy thing? Is that one of the things that EB changed with the schedule that now Ron is doing these like ultra late Wednesday pressers? Well, I don't know that he's dictating when Ron's doing it, but they did push practices back uh, before it was essentially, if I'm right, practice would start like just before noon. And we would then get after practice, uh, Rivera, the quarterback, and then open locker room. Now we get Sam Howell at like eleven fifty. Practice doesn't start till about one, and then after that we go locker room. Then and then Ron is after all that. So be, I assume the enemy part was moving it back. 
And then I guess Ron decided, well, let's just do the practice, to, uh, his his part after. So, yeah, not ideal for, uh, for I mean, it's better that it's after practice. So at least we can say, hey, how come so-and-so is not out there? Or, you know, what do you guys do today? But, uh, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Well, at least Ron is not making you guys stick around for a, a post-practice presser on Thursday because it used to be that Ron would talk Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then the last few years he doesn't talk on Thursday. So at least you're done the pressers uh, on Thursday relatively early because both uh, Eric and Jack go before uh, the practice on Thursday. So, yeah, again, I don't know if anyone listening cares about any of this stuff. I find this stuff interesting, though, the scheduling uh, for each Washington football season and I, I guess I wonder about the, the alteration of the practice time I guess do you think Eric Bieniemy likes that because it matches up with game time like you're practicing at one because you're usually playing at one or, or do you think that has nothing to do with it um that's interesting it, it, it might my, my sense was or a belief was that he wanted to have a, d- a deal where like they could be in the film room or some meeting and then take what they just discussed straight to the field oh, okay. now to be clear, like well, like the <laughs> the way the geography works is the media parking lot, which is like outside the gate, and you walk. So you walk in the gate to get into the facility. The media building is like on the far end of the parking lot, but immediately when you walk into the right, you can see the practice field, and there are players on the field. They're going through walkthroughs or whatever they're doing. It's just a formalized practice starts at one. So. Yeah, they're doing different things. Uh, but yeah, I think it was because he wanted to, t- to take whatever they were being t- discussed in meetings and then be able to go straight to the field uh, with that insight. All right. Well, the offenses look good the last two games, so they can practice at 2 a.m. Uh, if they need to, if uh, the offense keeps looking like this. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, and so to that end, I wanted to not so much rehash that New England game, but to, but kind of move this forward. I had a story up today on The Athletic about – uh, second half of the year predictions, basically. And uh, I thought that would be a good way to sort of discuss this team as we look forward. And, and you mentioned the offense has played better the last two weeks. You know, ultimately, Ron Rivera saying, has been saying that the last few weeks about how this is this season's all about the, the young quarterback. And he's not wrong, even if he's saying it at times for uh, maybe ulterior motives uh, to change the topic from other things. That said, Sam Howell is playing, is played, is played pretty well back-to-back games uh he you know, he and the offensive look good which is really the first time that's happened all year i guess for you what stands out about why the offense has looked good the last uh two games yeah i mean it does seem like an altered and upgraded operation and you know the data backs up a lot of what we're seeing here like sam is getting rid of balls quickly uh in a quicker fashion than had been the case uh eric the quite clearly is calling more things in the way of, you know, running back screens and receiver screens. There certainly does seem to be a concerted effort to get, especially Terry McLaurin touches early in games. And, you know, it's a funny thing, uh, you know, the, the Tyler Larson record thing is one of those classic, like, is it causation? Is it correlation? But, you know, seven, two and one now with him as a starting center over the last two regular seasons, that offensive line change ha- has made a difference. Like, I don't know how you, you look at it any other way. Uh, Larson replacing a bench Nick Gates at center. And, you know, I, I don't know if Chris Paul necessarily has been an upgrade over Sadiq Charles, maybe has been. Uh, but, you know, Larson is bigger than Gates is. And Larson quite clearly is better at protection calls than Gates was. And so, you know, we're seeing better center play. And I think that's helping out a lot. And so, you know, I look at these last two games and look, I know the commanders only scored 20 points at New England, so I don't want to go too crazy with this. But the yards per play for each game has been great. The third down efficiency for each game has been great. Well over 400 total net yards of offense in each game. Great. Sam Howell in each game. Great. Like this is big boy offense. Like what we're seeing is really good. And Eric Bieniemy off having a really bad game, I thought, in terms of play calling. Uh, and scheming, I guess you would say, too, uh, in that loss at the Giants. He's done a tremendous job, I think, over these last two games. And so, you know, I I know for me, I've thought about this. Like, all right, the Commanders, they're the first team out in the NFC playoff picture, okay? And and as I've said on my podcast, the Commanders are in playoff contention whether we want them to be or not, okay? Like, they are (laughs) in playoff contention. Like, that is the deal. Like, you you know, like, you can't change that reality. And so I, I think about, like, the last few times that we've seen Washington actually have a good offense, right? Uh, to, to, me, to me, it's 2015 and 2016. And in each of those seasons, what you saw 
was a quarterback get better as that season went on. If you go back to those years for Kirk, he did not get off to great starts in either year. It was kind of up and down, kind of like how Sam was. And then Kirk really got going in each season, and he ended up finishing each season with like some really gaudy numbers. And I wonder slash hope if that's what we're seeing with Sam Howell, that maybe, you know, first half of the season, you're figuring stuff out, you're up and down, some games good, some games bad. But now maybe Sam and this offense are hitting their stride. You know, as a fan of the team, I certainly hope that that's the case. But I think that it could be the case. Like, it, it does kind of feel like this team may have figured some stuff out offensively. These are two good defenses Washington faced the last two weeks and yet uh, move the ball really well against those two defenses. Yeah, you know, this is where the we, we hit the Venn diagram of Sam Howe. It is all about the future, as we know. Even if somehow they make the playoffs this year, this does not look like a team that is positioned to make a big run where we're, we're aware that there may be they may the ownership may blow out the whole coaching staff in front office. So it is mostly still about the future. And the question is, is Sam how part of that and to what degree is he the going to be the unquestioned starter next year? Is it going to still going to be up for debate? But as he goes through that, and as we continue to wonder, it helps this team. We obviously heard a lot of players, uh, you know, talk about Sam Howe, John Allen being the most um, positive, I guess you could say, about it, saying he thinks Sam Howe could be their guy for the next five to ten years. Again, Ron Rivera has now been saying some version of that, but just to a degree over the last few weeks. Um, and and that's where this is interesting. If Sam Howe does enough to be an unquestioned starter in 2024, then it probably means he's doing enough to help Washington continue to be in this playoff picture. And you know, right now the team that is seventh, Minnesota. You know, they had to have this miracle uh, performance from Josh Dobbs. Uh, you know, no practices, you know, no nothing with the team to stay in that seventh spot. And Washington uh, is right there, so that's what's going to be so interesting. Here's here, here's my, I don't want to be the, the the Debbie Downer, but you know, here's sort of the rub of this, right? So to this point in the season. Washington, according to uh, the DVOA metric, has faced the easiest schedule in the entire NFL. Their, their wins are against uh, Arizona and Denver, the two teams I believe are the last. Uh, I think the Arizona's thirty first in DVOA and Denver's thirty second, or vice versa. Atlanta twenty four. The Patriots are the best defensive team they have faced this year, and they're fourteenth, which is you know not exactly crushing it. Now that you go forward. Six of the eight teams, and by the way, they're also 0-3 against teams with winning records. Now you go forward, six of the eight teams left on the schedule have at least are 500 or better. I think the Jets fell to 500 with their loss on Monday night. The only teams under, you got the Giants uh, and um, blanking here. Well, whatever. They, they, there's two, there's two, two teams are under uh, 500. The Rams, the Rams yes. See, this is why This is why we have Al here. Uh, he didn't even look that up. He just got the brain on him. All right. Anyway, so, uh, so you know, the schedule is going to be tougher, and the defenses are going to be tougher. I mean, Dallas is obviously one of the better defenses. I know San Fran's obviously been awful lit, and that's that game's not till much later in the year, but still, those would be some challenges. Even with like Miami, not necessarily a great defense, but with their offense, what we've seen for most of the year, you're going to have to score to keep up. So I think that's going to be really interesting. And Sam Howell is going to be uniquely positioned to both give Washington hope, hopefully, for next year while simultaneously going, hey, the playoffs are right there, just like it was in 2020 when you didn't picture it. Um, I I think it's going to be really fun to watch how he goes and therefore how the team goes. Yeah, I mean, the underlying numbers on this commander's team are not impressive. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the point differential with a four and five record is minus 54, okay? (laughs) That's brutal. Like, the team is actually worse than that four and five record would suggest. So to your point, I don't think anyone would be stunned if the commanders do struggle and struggle heavily down the stretch. If you're a fan, I think what you're hoping for is that the team is getting better and that the team that we're about to see over the remaining uh, days here of November and then into December and January is a different and better team than what we saw in September and October. And this, of course, is Rod Rivera's time of year, right? I mean, he historically, as a head coach, a lot better November, December, January as compared to September and October. But, you know, I've thought about this as a fan of the team. Like, 
what do I want the rest of this season? Like if I could script this out in an, in an at least somewhat realistic way, what is the ideal scenario? And you certainly could argue that the ideal scenario is Sam Howell plays great, but the commanders do just enough to lose games, get a high pick in the upcoming draft, but have their quarterback for the future. And if you subscribe to that line of thinking, I don't blame you. I think there's actually a good bit of merit to that. But if the commanders do backdoor their way into the postseason, right, as a seven seed that, you know, everyone sort of realizes is probably going to be one and done, but does so on the back of Howell, you know, does so because Sam plays well and he legitimately quarterbacks this team to a playoff spot then I would take that. Like, I do think there's value in that. I don't think anything matters more with this team on the field this season than Sam. And if this team does have its guy at quarterback, uh, that changes everything. That alters all of the conversation. That is a total paradigm shift in terms of where this team is at and what we should be thinking moving forward. And so if that comes at the cost, and I put cost in quotation marks of, you know, another one of these Washington playoff appearances in which the team really wasn't that good sneaks into the postseason and is one and done. I'm okay with that. I would take that. Um, I, I think what matters the most here is that Sam is getting better and Sam is playing well and that you can at least exit this season with a feeling that you have a guy who should be the QB1 moving forward. And, you know, the whole franchise quarterback declaration thing, like that, that's kind of up to you. Like there is no definition of franchise quarterback. Like you can define it however you want. But, you know, is he your guy for next season? Is he your guy moving forward? That's the issue. I think right now the answer would be yes. But, boy, he could really certify that uh, by playing well as this season goes on. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. And also, like, look, I mean, the really good byproduct of how being the starter, like legit, not just because Ron Rivera says so in January, but because he's performed that way, is the next two years, his contract is beyond minimal for a starting quarterback, which means that whoever is making the personnel decisions next year can freely address the offensive line, a tight end, linebacker, whatever they want to do without worrying about having to spend all that money at quarterback and for two years. So that's a real, you know, that's a great window to be in. We've got a ways to go. And I guess to that end, the story I wrote after the game on Sunday was about how, you know, we're all still sort of debating whether Sam Howell is the guy. And now, the, now there's starting to be this consensus that yeah, maybe he actually is. And people are like, why are we even debating this? It's pretty obvious. Blah, blah, blah. Is it though? Because, you know, two weeks ago, the offense was miserable against the Giants. And I'm not saying that was all on Sam Howell. I'm just saying it was. And then, as I just mentioned, they're going to start playing tougher opponents down the stretch. They, they're going to play much better defenses than they have. Um, by the way, like their strength of schedule the rest of the way on paper is 13th, according to the DVOA metric. But the only NFC team with a tougher schedule is Seattle, uh, which we'll get to that in a second. So like they, for the teams they're competing against, they basically have the hardest schedule or the second hardest schedule in terms of the NFC. So I think, I think, I think we still need to see more from Sam before we're saying he's the guy, especially if a new person comes in, right? If it is an outside person, who knows what they'll think, but we're getting awfully close. I think to it being said, look, he is that guy. And I think that is what is, like you said, the most important part. Yeah. I mean, the person who should determine whether he is that guy moving forward is whoever is running commander's football operations moving forward. And I think we all agree that person is not in place right now, but you know, if the world ended right now, like I think we would say, yeah, Sam is your quarterback for next season. Even though if the world ended right now, there wouldn't be a next season, but that's another conversation. But yeah, I mean, you, you can only go by what you're seeing. I, I think there's a tendency, especially like from fans and, and maybe, you know, some media people too of like, you know, you want to appear ahead of the curve and you want to appear bold. And so you want to say right now, OK, that's it. He's the guy. He's the franchise guy. I've seen enough. He's our guy for the next five to 10 years. When in reality, there's not a general manager in the NFL who would say, all right, you have to commit to him right now. Like, no, like you want to see more. The sample size isn't that large. Of course, you want to see more. But I think it's perfectly reasonable to say it is very encouraging what we're seeing. He, to me, is the number one bright spot of this commander season by miles, and it's trending in a really encouraging way. So he's got to keep piling up good games, but I think it's going in the direction that we all want for it to go. And, 
you know, there is a fascinating irony that could end up being the case, which is for all of the missteps and the disappointment of the Ron Rivera era, it could end up being that it was Ron who, who ended up getting Washington its long sought after franchise guy. Like it could be that Ron in spending that 2022 fifth round pick on Sam ended up getting the team a franchise quarterback. And, you know, it's, it's funny how this stuff can play out, but um, you know, it might be that he actually hit a home run with that pick. Now, you know, there's a whole other conversation of, well, if you liked him so much, why didn't you take him earlier, et cetera. But like that pick could end up being an absolute steal for this franchise, a franchise altering steal. We'll see. We will indeed. And I think, you know, we'll get a, you know, again, it's weird. Like it feels like they've now won multiple games in a row. Well, they haven't. They've only won one game in a row. It was against a two and six New England team that can't has no offense. Uh I, I don't even know that we can say for sure that Washington told us much last week, other than to say the offense played better for the second week in a row. And Sam Howell, especially after that terrible interception at the end of the first half, responded with that touchdown throw to Dotson, a couple great throws to Terry McLaurin, et cetera. So let's go to the Seattle game. Because here's what I've determined, Al. Of the remaining eight games left, look, don't don't hold me to the never when I'm about to say never or or not possible or whatever I'm going to say here. We're always leaving the 1% open. I don't see a world in which Washington makes the playoffs if they lose this game. Uh, Because when, because you look at the other games down the stretch, okay, we can can maybe say they'll beat the Giants who narrow on to, Danny DeVito at quarterback. I know it's not Danny DeVito, but you know, it's funny your joke that way. Uh, Tommy DeVito. And, you know, but you know, the and then we can sit here and say, oh, they'll split with Dallas because of rivals and blah, blah, blah. But in theory, they, they've got to get the nine wins, I would say, right? To, 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 ha- I mean, you never know, but they probably have to get the nine wins as the wild card to make the playoffs. That means they got to go, they got to get five. No, uh, yeah, they got to get five, right? So, even if we give them the Giants, that means they got to get the four. I don't see how they're getting to four if they don't beat Seattle this week. You at some point have to win a game you shouldn't. And look, I don't know. Seattle's coming off a disaster, 37-3 loss to the Ravens. They are back home. You know, they are pretty good. Their, their offense is 10th in DVOA. They're sort of middle of the pack in DVOA. But you tell me, I kind of think this is... I've, I've said this other times this year about the, a, a, a near must win, and I think they were right at the time. I, I really, like I said, I just don't know how they make the playoffs if they don't win this game. Yeah, it's hard to construct that realistic path. I mean, you know, there is always the chance that you go on a run, um, like you said, you know, so like you can't say never. But um, the the pain is that those losses to the Bears and the Giants made it so that the commanders, if they're going to make the playoffs, are going to have to pull off a win, maybe even multiple wins uh, in games that the team is not, quote unquote, supposed to win. You know, like the margin for error is just so tiny now because you lost those games that the team should have never lost. You know, so had Washington won just one of those games or had Washington won one of the games against the Eagles, which obviously were close games, the, the conversation would be different right now. But this is where you're at. And so. Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible eight and nine gets you in, but that's not a game that you want to be playing. And it does feel like nine and eight should be good enough to get one of those three wild card spots. And I don't like that Seattle is coming off the loss that the Seahawks are coming off of uh, because that just seems like a classic recipe for Seattle to play a lot better, right? Got smashed by a good team in the Ravens, come back home, uh, face a commander's team, traveling cross country in a later start on a Sunday. You know, that that just seems like like a tough spot to be in. So, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I think that the commanders are a team that is one of these classic high variance teams of which there are many each NFL season. I think the commanders at their best can certainly be a team that ends up winning nine games this year. I thought this team would go 10 and seven this season. Right. So like, I think that is within this team, but we have to see it. We have not seen it with any kind of regularity. And you know, we've seen back-to-back good games from the offense. That's fine, but we need to keep seeing those, and we do need to see this defense find a way to be at least passable down the stretch. Now, I thought the defense played pretty well at the pass, but New England is not a very good offensive team. You get a, a, a much stiffer test coming up uh, this Sunday at Seattle. So I think it's a winnable game for sure, 
but it's not a game that on paper sets up as like a great spot for the commanders. I don't think. And and I mentioned the strength of schedule remaining earlier. The flip side of, of, of the, uh, the tougher schedules I was mentioning for Washington and Seattle, other teams in the wildcard mix, Atlanta tied with Washington right now, they have the second easiest schedule according to uh, the DVO metric green Bay, which is a game behind Washington 29th easiest. Tampa Bay, they are also one game behind or a half a game behind Washington. Yeah, I guess Green Bay and Tampa, they both have buyers, so they're half a game behind Washington. They're 27th. So, you know, again, these things do not automatically mean this is why you play the game. It doesn't mean they're going to win or Washington will lose. It's just to say that the opportunities presenting themselves for what you think would be a better chance to win are fewer for Washington than they are for some other teams. So, yeah, I think they've got to win this game. And also, like, not only if you win this game, is it just for the rest of the season, you get the 500, followed by the Giants at Washington. Again, the Giants are on their third-string quarterback at this point. So, right, and didn't Tyra Taylor was on IR, right? So he's not even going to be back. So it's, does DeVito Kato looks overmatched, or they, you know, go out and sign their, you know, random veteran. So they could be six and five, right? I mean, and, and the momentum that would come from that would be, you know, potentially pretty significant. It's not just what your record is. It's how do you feel about it? We're, you know, we're not going to get a Jonathan Allen tirade when you win uh, three in a row, right? So uh, that's why this game again, this week in Seattle, I think, is going to be a real a real test. Now, that said, let, let's get to uh, let's get to some of the other pieces here. I One of the questions I had was, or one of the topics I had was, who is the most interesting rookie down the stretch? Uh, I didn't pick Emmanuel Forbes, but you easily could. And I think this game this week against Seattle is going to be pretty interesting. I think last week was a perfect opportunity to give Forbes more reps. New England has no receivers of any particular with any particular flair or 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 status. They're just a but. It's a, I I said the other day it reminds me of back when Washington was using guys like Kelvin Harmon and Steven Sims. And it's like, no disrespect to them, but they're not game breakers. They're not guys you fear. And this was a game you could put Forbes in there, let him be his aggressive self and get some confidence back. Then you go to this game coming up against Seattle. DK Metcalf, he's basically AJ Brown's physical clone. And then Tyler Lockett is a guy who's, you know, I don't think he's having a great year. I think he's a little banged up, but he's one of those guys who just gets open all the time I think this is going to be a much more realistic test for Forbes to see where he is at and the defense as a whole because Seattle can still score where New England just gives them no give them no challenge absolutely um uh, you know I, I talked about this on uh the uh Tuesday installment of my podcast <laughs> the physical difference between DK Metcalf and Emmanuel Forbes really is stark I mean Metcalf if you go by the official listings is 50 plus pounds heavier than Emmanuel Forbes is. And as we saw in that second game between the Commanders and the Eagles, if a team wants a certain matchup, a team can dictate that matchup. In other words, the Eagles dictated that uh, Forbes wound up on A.J. Brown, uh, and the Commanders, for whatever reason, didn't do much to uh, get off that matchup. So, you know, if Seattle makes it so that Metcalf is being matched up by Forbes, like you think about what that could be this coming Sunday. You know, so few of these Commanders rookies have played this season that it's hard to really sink your teeth into, like, who's the most interesting guy beyond Emmanuel Forbes. I mean, you know, we're seeing more of K.J. Henry now, Andre Jones, so maybe those guys. But, yeah, I mean, I think it is Forbes, you know. What happened with him I don't think can be overstated. Like, you spend a top 20 pick on a guy, he is set to be one of your top corners, and you end up benching him in the first half of his rookie season. That is not normal. That is not something that happens with any kind of frequency. It's hard to think of any precedent for that in recent Washington football history. Like, we've seen guys have bad rookie seasons. Like, Jamin Davis had a bad rookie season. He didn't get benched in 2021 like Forbes got benched. Like, that really was something. And, you know, Forbes, he, he put out the Instagram post last Friday of I'm back, and he ended up having a really nice game at New England. Yeah, and he was feeling himself in that game. And good for him. Like, if, if he's the kind of guy who needs to play like that in order – to perform well. In other words, uh, play with, you know, a cockiness. That's fine. But I, I hope he does realize, like, you did what you did against a New England team that, like you said, is not a very good offensive team, a team that was missing multiple key receivers, Kendrick Bourne, Andrew Reserve, uh, Devontae Parker. 
was inactive. So, you know, there's a lot more to go here. And I, I did think it was telling that Ron Rivera in his day after the game presser on Monday afternoon, you know, he wasn't just throwing bouquets at Forbes. Like Ron has praised Forbes for his work ethic during this time of being benched and not playing all that much. But, you know, Ron talked about like there are still technique things that need to be cleaned up. Like there's a ways to go here for Emmanuel Forbes. Like this still is a concerning thing that this team spent a first round pick on this guy, top 20 pick took him over multiple other corners who could have been selected and uh, ends up benching him in the first half of this season. So, look, good game by Forbes. Um, maybe he ends up being a guy who plays well down the stretch. Certainly would love to see that. Uh, but I, I think, you know, the jury is very much out. And I, I think it's a really big deal what happens here. Like, you don't want to be saying at the end of the season, boy, the commanders blew it in, in spending that first-round pick on Forbes. Like, you, you'd like to feel a lot better about him uh, than you have for much of this season. So, we'll see. And also, again, not to spin it too forward to the future because the present is important, again, as we discussed with the, with the playoff scenario. But you look ahead, right? Okay, we know the commanders have $90 million in projected cap space, not to mention nine draft picks, including you know five in the top 100, basically, following the two trades last week. But what are they going to use these assets on, right? I think a lot's going to depend on how these last few games play out. Looking at, again, Emmanuel Forbes, Kendall Fuller is a free agent. I'm sure part of the plan in drafting a cornerback, whether Forbes or somebody else, was, okay, we know Fuller is a free agent. We also need a third in real time. So let's take this guy. If he's the real answer, now we would have Forbes and Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, they don't have to then spend a top pick on a corner or spend a lot of money. But right now, if Forbes, you know, if, if last week proves what he is, great. If it doesn't, then they may have to decide, oh, we maybe have to bring Kendall Fuller back or go out and sign somebody else or add another one. Same thing at safety. You know, for all the Cam Curl's going to be, you know, needs to be resigned talk, cool. He hasn't been yet. He's getting closer to hitting free agency. They do have the franchise tag open now, but I don't think you want to do that for him. That would make him pay, pay one of the top five safeties in the league. I think that wouldn't be, uh, that would be, it feels like a bit of an overpay. But maybe they don't have to worry about it if Quan Martin plays plays well. Now, I'm not pointing to the interception as like, oh, here we go. But Ron Rivera has at least mentioned for uh, Martin helping out on special teams. He said after watching the film, he really saw this kid flying around. Again, it's only like 15 snaps he had, so he's still not playing a ton. But, you know, I think he's going to be interesting as well down the stretch because, again, maybe that dictates what you do with Cam Curl. And if you think Martin can fill, fill in, then you don't have to sign Curl. And then you have more money to do other things or the opposite. You like, Oh my God, we can't let Cam Curl leave, which may be the case anyway. So I, I really do think these last eight games we discussed with Hal, but I think the top two picks in this draft are going to have similar impact on what the future plans are. I think it's going to be so interesting from a roster construction standpoint, how the commanders approach defense moving forward. And again, this is going to presumably be on the next football operations regime. But, you know, one of the things about trading both Montez Sweat and Chase Young on the same day to me was that that was a declarative and emphatic ending to this run of the all first round picks defensive line, right? Four starting defensive linemen, each of whom, was taken with a first-round pick. You, you were over-invested in this singular position group that, for a variety of reasons, never truly lived up to what it was supposed to be. The whole, so often, was less than the sum of the parts. And so what is the right path defensively moving forward? In this modern NFL, what is the proper roster construction path when it comes to defense? We know that Josh Harris is forward-thinking and into analytics. We know that Eugene Chen is on board. Again, we'll see who is actually presiding over commanders football ops moving forward. But, you know, is the right path to spend the bulk of your defensive resources on the secondary and get away from being so invested in the defensive line? Is the right path, in fact, no. you got to have a good defensive line. you got to go back to that edge defender spot and try to draft well at that spot and get some good guys who are cheaper guys. Uh, you know, I think there are a lot of ways to approach this. You know, there's also a school of thought that says in, in today's NFL, offense matters so much more than defense. Just be passable on defense and put all of your resources or at least the bulk of them into offense and just focus on trying to get to 30 points per game. And, you know, as long as your defense isn't giving up more than 24, 25 per game, you'll be all right. So I think there are a lot of ways this could go. I, I, I always enjoy conversations like that because I think the NFL has changed so much, you know, over the last 5, 10, 15 years. But, yeah, I, I would love to know 
like people who truly understand the NFL and who are looking at Washington and who have studied the roster, like what do you see as the right way forward with the defense? Because clearly the previous way wasn't good enough. You know, like this did not work. This was a failure. What, what Washington did defensively these last few years. And, um, you know, you could say, well, coaching is a part of it. And I don't think that you're wrong, but like the way this thing was put together, didn't work. So what is the right way uh, moving forward? So I, I think that's going to be a really interesting thing this off season. And then, you know, sort of the last thing for me on this, you know, again, on the surface, you know, they, they played a good job. They did a good job defensively against the Patriots. You hold an NFL team to 17 points. I don't really care who, you know, what's going on. That's a good, uh, that's a good day. Okay. That said, they had zero sacks in the first game without Montez Sweat and Chase Young. And I think these deals, you know, to the point we've all been making for, for a couple of years now is they they were overweighted at this one position, but by therefore trading two guys away, doesn't mean it's now a weakness. You still have two Pro Bowl tackles and Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. But they're not playing, certainly not statistically, like two guys that are going back to the Pro Bowl this year. And that's more of an emphasis now is going to be on them. And I think to this point, and this is something I wrote about, was do they do enough the rest of the year to tell whoever is making those future decisions we just need to put in guys who can co- complement Allen and Payne to maximize this situation. Or do they say, you know what, ultimately having those Allen and Payne, having those two guys with just sort of ordinary defensive ends isn't enough that we maybe we do need to invest um, a first round pick in a defensive end. I, I, I reported last year that they were at least looking around at Lucas Van Ness at possibly 16. Should he have been fallen? He He didn't. I, you know, I mean, like, look, you know, Deron Payne right now, he had 11 and a half sacks last year, career high. He has one this year. Uh, I asked Ron Rivera, like, are we worried about these stats? He's like, no, no, the, 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 the presence is more impactful than just numbers. Okay. But that said, John Allen's numbers are also down. And again, they just had zero sacks. And I, you tell me what you thought. I didn't like think to myself, wow, those guys were just wrecking balls, but they just didn't get the stat. So I think there's going to be a lot on these two guys because there's now faith in what they, who they are, that they kept them and not the other ones, but simultaneously, what do you need around them? Are they enough to be the real central piece to a defense or do you have to bring in significant edge help? Not just your James Smith Williams, Casey two Hill mid round pick type help. Yeah. Or do you have to move on from John? and or Duran. Like, I think that could be on the table with the next front office regime. I don't think that John and Duran have had the seasons that these guys are capable of having. And I think that each guy has a script has escaped uh, for the most part, legitimate criticism because uh, the bulk of the scrutiny has been on chase young into a lesser degree Montez sweat. But that doesn't mean that like John and Duran have been just fine. I-, I think the oversimplified assessment is John and Duran have been pretty good against the run. But I think as pass rushers, they haven't been close to what they have been in past seasons. And I think each guy is capable of being a lot better. Now, if you look at some of the advanced stuff with Deron Payne, some regression with the sack total was anticipated for this season. The 11 and a half sacks that he had last year were great. But there also was an element of, you know, just kind of cleaning up some stuff and uh, some pressures just kind of going his way, which is good. I mean, he doesn't have to apologize for that, but I, I don't think you looked at Duran as a guy who was going to be getting 11 and a half sacks per season moving forward. But yeah, one at this point this season uh, is underwhelming. And, you know, beyond the numbers, just watching these games, how many big impact plays have we seen from John and Duran? We've seen some, okay? I don't want to say like there have been none. Like Duran has been in on some fumbles and uh, we, we've seen these guys at times uh, do some good stuff. But it has not been what it had been in recent years. I mean, Duran last year was a force. Jaron over John over the last few years was a force. Neither guy has been a true force, in my opinion, this season. And, you know, everyone focuses on Chase Young, and I get it. But there's been a lot more to this defensive line than just those guys. And, you know, the team now has this bizarro dynamic, right, of paying edge defenders like nothing. And by the way, all of those guys, or at least most of them, or a good bit of them, are set to be unrestricted free agents, right? We think about Casey Tuhill and James Smith-Williams and F.A. Obata, but you're paying your edge guys nothing, and you're paying your two top interior guys so much. You know, going back to the whole idea of roster construction, 
is that ideal? Like, because you certainly could argue you're now way overinvested in the part of the defensive line that matters the least. You know, you, you certainly can make that case. So I think a lot of things should be on the table. And I don't think it should just be assumed that John and Duran are here to stay for years to come. I, I think, again, you're going to have to see what the next football ops regime thinks about these guys. But uh, I don't think either guy has been this season what he can be. And I think each guy has been a part of this defense not being as good as it could be. Now, they're not the principal parties to blame. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't think they've been what they can be. And I think that's a problem. You know, when you're paid what these guys are paid, you need to be consistent forces. And I don't think either guy has been that this season, at least so far. No, for sure. Um, you know, we mentioned uh, some of their totals. John Allen is seventh in QB hurries, according to uh, Pro Football Focus. But Duran is 34th. And again, you know, prior to last year, people weren't looking for sacks from Payne. But then he did it got paid and it just hasn't hasn't been there but yeah you're right I, I just think that it's even if they ultimately decide to spend less on defense in pure investment than they had in the recent years you still have to make a determination if these two guys are legitimately the pieces in the middle to be the wrecking balls like you said I mean this I, I haven't it has not felt that way um so that's gonna be interesting to watch down the stretch uh, anything else for you that's in, in inside that big brain of yours? Anything else that sort of comes of mind uh, for 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 you? Are, are you uh, having fun again uh, talking about this team after <laughs> you know a, 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 a big win and a you know credible performance against Philly or or what what what, what are you thinking? Yeah, it was nice to get that win. I mean, it's easy to forget this. This team got off to a 2-0 start to a regular season for the first time since 2011. Like, we were in what seemed like uncharted waters with this team, getting off to that, you know, modest 2-0 start. But 2-0 was good. And then after that, to have five losses in six games, it just wrecked the feeling and the vibe of this season. Now, you know, bigger picture, you could say, well, maybe this is what needed to happen, right? Because the change that we all now assume is coming is change that needs to come. But, you know, we're all human, right? And especially doing what we do for a living, like it's better for us when the team is doing well. People are more interested in the team when the team is doing well. So, you know, you get this win at the Pats. What it means, who knows? I mean, it was not a work of art. We get that. And the Pats are not a great team. Uh, but maybe it is the start of at least what could be a fun run down the stretch of this season. And I'll tell you something else about the Sam Howell thing. If he's the guy, and, you know, that's an if, but he's, I think he's playing well. You know, he certainly could be. I think you get less sucked into the draft positioning thing uh, if you have the guy who you like at quarterback. Because for the longest time, right, we've played this draft positioning game because the team has needed a quarterback. Because we all kind of get, you know, the higher the pick, the better with quarterback, even though that doesn't guarantee you anything. But, you know, generally speaking, like you want to be able to get one of the top, you know, say two guys, three guys in a draft. And you're not going to be doing that if you don't have a supremely high draft pick. If you do feel like you're set at quarterback, then whether you're picking, you know, eighth or 12th or 16th, it doesn't matter as much because there are good players all over the place in these NFL drafts. There aren't franchise quarterbacks all over the place in these NFL drafts. But there are good players all over the place in these NFL drafts. And so that's why I do go back to if Howell does quarterback this team to an ultimately meaningless playoff run, I do think there's value in that. If he va if he validates himself as the QB1 moving forward and that costs you uh, in the draft positioning game, I'm willing to take that. Because, again, I think if you have your guy a quarterback, you can live with, with, with having a first-round pick, you know, four, five, six spots worse than it otherwise would have been. And of course, off the trades of Montez Sweat and Chase Young, this team is positioned uh, to have a good number of picks uh, over the first few rounds of uh, the 2024 draft. Right. When we talk about draft position, we're talking largely about the quarterback. Obviously, there's elite players, but let's just say they were to pick 16 again because it feels like that's where they pick. <laughs> you may be the team that gets the first uh, guard, if, if that's what you want, or the second cornerback, right? Wasn't was Forbes the second cornerback last year? It was Witherspoon and Gonzalez was after him. Yeah. So like you can still like there's all the other positions you can give. It's just a quarterback. And if you're right, if Sam Howell is the guy, then they don't have to deal with that. Uh, by the way, I did forget one topic. Do you have another second? Yeah. Okay. This is uh, I was great. Okay. Chase Young. Let's I forgot about this. So Chase Young 
makes his uh, press conference, uh, has his introductory press conference on Monday. Montez Wets was last week. Montez Sweats was sort of charming. Uh, you know, it, it's a it, very two inter- different personalities. And, you know, he, he's, he's just kind of getting thrown into the being the big fish, you know, being the big fish now in that pond. But Chase Young, you know, he's always kind of carried himself in a certain way. And he, he goes to San Francisco and he's asked questions about, you know, the, the trade. He said he found out on social media. Okay. Not, not, not necessarily ideal, but okay. Um, but then he said, what were your first thoughts on the trade to San Francisco? Now, first of all, he's going to be re- he's reunited with uh, Nick Bosa, his Ohio State teammate. So that's fun. But he says, okay, quote, I wasn't mad. He laughs. Now, you know, Nick Bosa is here. Always been a big brother to me, even at Ohio State. So just stepping in here for today, got in here last week. Just the culture, the vibe is a lot different. I definitely know that I'm in a building with winners, end quote. Um, I don't take Chase Young as somebody who thinks like he plans out his his words necessarily. I don't, you know I mean, like I'm not saying he was purposely trying to take a jab at this team, but ultimately it did potentially come across that way, not just the players or not just the coaching staff, but like also the teammates. What did you make of, of the remarks? He said some other things as as well. What did you kind of make of that? Yeah, it's hard to just digest those remarks as well. He said that, but he didn't really mean anything by that. Like at this point, there's like a mountain of evidence that there were issues between Chase Young and Ron Rivera. And it does seem like it was a Chase and Ron thing and not like a Chase and Jack Del Rio thing. I could be wrong. And if, if you think differently, you know, please let me know. But Jack has been pretty uh, supportive of Chase. And I, I've never heard of issues necessarily between Jack and Chase. Doesn't mean that maybe Jack didn't, you know, uh, not love everything about Chase. But there does seem to have been a real issue between uh, Ron and Chase. I mean, going back to 2021 with the cryptic comments about maturity from Ron and then Ron going to his buddy, Michael Silver, who was writing for the team at the time and flat out calling out Chase Young uh, and Montez Sweat. And then, you know, all of the stuff these last few off seasons of Chase not attending uh, all of the OTA practices. And then, and look, I mean, you know, it's funny, I'm talking to you, right? But like the team trades Chase Young and like five minutes later in your piece on the trade, there's that anonymous quote from the team source talking about addition by subtraction. And then there's that piece by Michael Silver, San Francisco Chronicle, uh, talking about multiple people with the commanders uh, not having uh, liked Chase doing things like freelancing, et cetera. Like there were leaks here from the team knocking Chase. So, you know, I don't necessarily blame him for saying what he said at that intro presser with the Niners. I get where Chase was coming from. But I, I come back to a couple of things. Number one, again, there was tension. There were issues between Chase Young and Ron Rivera. I think at this point, that's undeniable. And number two, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that the stuff that was leaked was wrong. Like, you you know, we can debate whether the commanders should, should have put the stuff out there that the team put. But that doesn't mean that the stuff was wrong. And so, you know, you think about, like, where this went wrong with Chase Young. Because I, I think a part of this Chase Young trade is, like, you know, you got to take a, a moment to assess, like, how much of a debacle this ended up being. Like, a number two overall pick on this guy, he doesn't even last four full seasons with the team. Th- th- there's, a, a you know, a desire to kind of move on to the next thing, and the season is going on. And, you know, I found it funny, like, Ron Rivera on Friday telling you guys, like, stop asking me about Chase. It's over and done with. We're moving forward. I get where Ron was coming from and saying that. But, look, as a fan of the team, as an observer of the team, like, no, let's take a moment to let this marinate, this is a disaster. You know, you spend a number two overall pick on a guy, he should be a franchise player for you for years to come. Where and why did this go wrong? That deserves scrutiny. Like, that deserves some uh, introspection here of, like, how did this happen? Why did this happen? You know, it's amazing, man. Washington had two number two overall picks in a period of 10 years, and each guy was a rookie of the year in some form, Each guy ends up suffering a serious knee injury shortly after that rookie of the year performance. And each guy ends up not lasting with the team beyond that rookie contract. And each guy also ends up having behind the scenes problems. It's it's almost eerie, the parallels between Robert and Chase. But boy, like that to me is a really big deal that this did not work out. And I I feel like that has not gotten uh, the the, the appropriate attention. Like it's it's, uh, significant, really significant that this Chase Young tenure with Washington ended up going as it did. Uh, yeah, 
could couldn't uh agree more um you know i i feel that like i was a little frustrated with we, we talked about ron saying he didn't want to talk about it anymore but like i, I kind of thought like jack del rio really gave us kind of nothing out of that and it was like hey man you coach this guy you know the whole time for better or for worse whatever you want to say but like it does need to be addressed this isn't just we're ready to move on to Cincinnati, which is a, they try to get into this a lot. I mean, this is like a, a big deal. And I'm not even talking about it because they didn't take Herbert or Tua or any of that stuff, just that it didn't work. I mean, I remember going all the way back to when Jonathan Allen signed his extension. I was like, okay, you're kind of now saying, because at that point I was like, okay, you're kind of saying now it's either pain or sweat because you're going to definitely keep Chase Young. <laughs> There's no way Chase Young isn't getting the second contract for all kinds of reasons. And then he ultimately didn't die. That is, yes, it does warrant more conversation. So have you heard, were there issues specific to chase and Jack, or was this more of a chase and Ron thing? Do we know that? Um, I, I think the frustrations that existed with chase in those addition by subtraction ways, I think we're not just limited to any one person. I, I think, you know, Again, you know, when you skip the voluntary workouts, keyword is voluntary, but you're the only one, more or less, that skips it. And then you come in in 2021 like he did and have a really disappointing year before the injury. I think that's going to impact everyone. And, you know, I I, I don't want to keep using the same analogy uh, over and over, but like when you, you know, when you compare the defensive line to an NBA lineup and everybody wants to score 20 points and have the ball, well, obviously that can't happen. And it feels like Chase was probably the one who was the most egregious about sort of staying in that mindset. I think that had to frustrate um, the defensive coaching staff, right? I mean, because we then go in there the next week and say, hey, how come you guys are ranked 31st? How how come this? How come that? And I'm not saying it's all because of Chase Young. Obviously, we already talked about Forbes and we know about the linebackers and all that. But I I think that I I think him coloring outside the lines most of all is probably uh was a frustration that was that lingered beyond just the head coach yeah well now we have kyle shanahan trent williams and chase young uh all on the same team so you wonder how much uh washington football bashing goes on when those three guys are talking they probably have a club instead of the five o'clock club they have a i don't know the committee you know the washington uh you know, bashing uh, club yeah. uh, somewhere over there. Um, all right. Go follow Al on Twitter at Al Galdi. Listen to the podcast, the Al Galdi show. Obviously a great show that not only focuses on this team, but every team in town and probably gives the best recap across the board day after day of everything that's going on. And honestly, it's still more interesting talking about this team than those other teams right now. Please for Al, for your sake, don't, don't, don't focus on the wizards. It's Did too embarrassing like for words. Like I'm, I'm accepting that they're going to lose games. That's fine, but like you can't give up 145 points every game. It's insane. So don't, don't, don't subject your viewers, your listeners to all that talk. Is all I'm saying. Dead last in the NBA in defensive rating, Joel Embiid did something that's really hard to do: 48 points in less than 31 minutes of playing time. That's not easy to do, and yet uh, Embiid did that against our Wizards. Yeah, the defense uh, remains a work in progress with the Wizards. We can say that. Uh, I've already stated, and they got they have one quote unquote big man right now. You've got to have like four for an NBA team because of guys like Joel Embiid. One, get out of here. All right, uh, enough of that. Uh, Al Galdi, you 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 rock. I'll talk to you next week on your show, uh, and we'll see if we're talking about a, a huge win or more questions about where this thing is going. Thanks, man. Yep, thank you. All right, big thanks as always to Al Galdi for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Uh, More to come this week as we get ready for Washington's trip to the state of Washington for Sunday's pivotal game against the Seahawks. Um, But that is it for now. Ben Stantic signing off. Until next time. See ya.
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.